You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, um, please turn to Genesis 30. We have been in this series, we've called it Meant for Good. We've been unpacking basically Isaac through, we're going to go through the end of Genesis, so it'll take us up through about June. Um, And as you saw on the screen, May 3rd, we're going to have a big party down at Grayson. You got to pray now for no rain, y'all, because they will not let us on that field if there's, no, if there's rain. We're going to baptize and we're going to eat like we've never eaten before. So we're going to have a good time. So we haven't had a church picnic in like seven years because there's no place big enough in town for all y'all's cars. So we've got Grayson and we need good weather and we're going to have a great time. So just mark your calendars for that Sunday. How many of y'all in the room would consider yourself half glass empty? Yeah, see, this is, y'all, first service is the same thing. Y'all a bunch of liars, because I know that half of y'all, okay, if your spouse or your significant other is half glass empty, raise your hand. There it is, there it is. Still in like four of them, because y'all are scared. You have cowards, right? So we call you, and what you usually say is, no, I'm, I'm not, see, this is why you wouldn't raise your hand. You would, I'm not half glass empty. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Okay, if you're a realist, raise your hand. All right, now we got some more. Yeah, that's it. All right, how about if you, where's my half glass full people? Oh yeah, of course y'all, southern sweet people, right? Oh, we're southern, we're just, everybody, God loves everybody, sunshine and rainbows, right? And and I come to this passage today, this this narrative, I I did a lot of reading, a lot of of, uh, notes and commentaries and things, and I listened to a bunch of sermons too, just because it's a challenging passage because there's two real approaches here, and, and I call it the, the half glass empty approach and the half glass full approach, and so half the guys I listened to or read were half glass empty, and they just kind of give Jacob a hard time, which to his, to his credit, he has been a knucklehead for the last couple chapters, right? So he's an idiot. We know that, but I actually think that the half glass full approach is the appropriate response here. I think that Jacob, yes, a knucklehead, yes, fallen, yes, broken. I think he's actually learning some things. And I think he's growing. And I'm in decent company because guys like Tom Nelson and John Calvin are on my side. So, um, but I I think that the approach I wanna take and as I've prayed through this is, I think Jacob, although not perfect, is growing. And he is in a hard spot Right? Here, here's Jacob, he is stuck in a bad situation, some of his own doing, some of his not. He is working for a boss, aka his uncle, aka his father-in-law, aka complicated. But he's working for a boss who is using him, who has manipulated him, who has cheated him, who has lied to him, and yet we are going to see him stay the course. And the reality is this, if you live in a fallen world, at some point, maybe right now, maybe down the road, you will have a boss who is a pagan, who is just like a Laban. Or maybe it won't be a boss because you're the boss and you're like, no way, I'm a Laban, I'm the best boss ever, right? So am I, okay? Um, But maybe it's you are gonna be on a team and the coach is just foul-mouthed and doesn't care about anything but winning. Or maybe you're in a class and your teacher's name is Mrs. McGillicuddy and she hates everything that has to do about God. And she slams your beliefs and she's this and any Christian is a moron. Or maybe you are married to a non-believer who is not kind, 
who is not gentle. Or maybe, and this is a lot, we see this a ton, maybe you're a teenager, you're a college student, you came to faith through Young Life or somebody brought you to church, you became a Christian, but your parents want nothing to do with your Jesus. How can you continue in godliness in that situation? Can you? Or is godliness a detriment? What does it look like when I got a bunch of Labans over me in my life? That's what we're gonna talk about today. Does that relate to anybody? Don't raise your hand. But you ever experienced that? Right? Often people say, the old, why do you always preach to the Old Testament? You know, the Old Testament, I don't understand. It doesn't, doesn't relate. Oh, contraire, mon frere. This is reading our mail, y'all. All right, so we're gonna see it today in Genesis 30. We're gonna cover the rest of the chapter. What we've seen is Jacob's been on the run. He's cheated his brother, but God still meets him in a special way at Bethel, the house of God. He gets a little dream of a ladder, and God makes some significant promises to him that he made to his, his daddy, and he, he's gonna continue down the line, right? But he's promised his presence. That's a big one. He also promised descendants, we saw descendants last week, right, with the Battle of Mates and Mandrakes, right? We had a baby-making contest between four ladies, um, and there's just kids everywhere. So God has come through on that one. Next week, we're going to see God uh, has promised a land, that his, the promised land would be his, and that's going to come through. This week, we're going to see that his promise of provision, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to bless you, is going to come true. And it's important, the big idea of this whole book is that God keeps his word. God does what he says he's gonna do. And ultimately, the biggest promise that was made to Jacob was that in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And who? In him. Why? Because Messiah Jesus would come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David and da 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 down to Mary, right? And so God does keep his word, and we've seen that throughout the thing throughout the deal, and so we're gonna see it today, and he's learning to trust his God. So let's come at this thing, half glass full, see what he's learning, so we can face the same situations. When you are in the pit, you can still prosper. When you have a bunch of Labans, wherever that Laban is, maybe in your house, maybe at your office, maybe in your neighborhood, that you know how to prosper, and here's the thing, be godly. Right? That's, that's what God's called us to do, right? To be godly, to distinct Holy, and so let's look at this. First verse, verse 25. Soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. So this is not a normal way to talk to your father-in-law, I don't think, right? Remember, Jacob at this point is about 90 years old and he's requesting permission to leave. In fact, the New Living Translation says, release me. You don't talk, that's not, that's not a language that I, I use with my father-in-law. Release me. Why? But he has been enslaved for 14 years and the time is up. And he says, now send me on my way. I have fulfilled my obligation. Release me. But Laban does not want him to go. And it's not because he's like, oh, I just will miss all my grandbabies. <laughs> it's not because he wants, he lo- oh, I love my daughters. This is my only daughters. Nothing to do with that has everything to do with the fact that Jacob has made Jacob rich. He is rich now. So Laban said to him, if I found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that Yahweh, the Lord, has blessed me because of you. Whether he went to some, you know, witch or, we don't know what that means, but he says, 
We figured it out. The secret to our success is not that we are that great. It is you, Jacob. You are actually, because you are here, God is blessing us. God's favor is on us because of you. And I don't want that to end, right? So basically, Laban, in football terms, wants to put the old franchise tag on Jacob. If you know what the franchise tag is, it means you get to keep the player, he can't leave, and you don't have to pay him as much. That's what he wants. With the benefit, I don't want to pay, even though he's going to say he does. So here's what he says. Name your wages. Name your salary, Jacob. Stay. Name your salary. We saw this before, by the way, when he had to work for Rachel and Leah. Tell me your wages. So you can't trust this guy. But Jacob says, you yourself know I have served you. How, how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came. You were broke before I came and it has increased now abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But, but what now, what should I provide for my own household? I got these 12 kids, your grandkids. That's expensive. I gotta make some money. But he's establishing you are rich because of me. Uh, I gotta feed the fam. So he says this, what do you, what do you want? What do I, should I give you, Jacob? He says, you should not give me anything. It's very interesting, by the way. Jacob says to his, his kind of snarly father-in-law, you're not, not going to give me anything. It's the same thing his grandfather named Abraham said to the king of Sodom when he rescued Lot and all these other people. And the king of Sodom's like, hey, what do, what do you want? He's like, I don't want nothing from you. I'm actually going to give my stuff to Melchizedek, who's a picture of Jesus. But he says, I don't, I don't, you're not going to give me anything. Here's what you can do. I will again pasture your flock. I will work for you. I will keep it. Let me pass through first all your flock today and I'm gonna remove every speckled, spotted sheep, every black lamb and the spotted and the speckled among the goats and they will be my wages. I'm going to take, and I know that most of you don't have a degree. Maybe if you went to Georgia Southern, you do. A degree in goats. I don't know. Maybe Georgia Southern does goats. That was a joke, yes. Um, but most of you don't know goats and sheep, so I get it. So let me just kind of give you the, the background. In that part of the country, the sheep were typically white, right? They were not spotted, they were not streaked. And the goats were typically uh, solid color, dark brown or black, right? So any spotted animals were anomalies. They were rare, okay? They were genetically, that was not as common as the solid color. So what Jacob is saying here is, look, I'm gonna go through all the flock and I'm gonna take out the anomalies, the, the things that are rare. And that will be my wages. And so from now on, anything that's spotted, anything that's an anomaly will be my wages and everything that's normal will be yours. So he's stacking the deck against himself and Laban is like, that's a good deal for me. You're making minimum wage, basically. And he tells him, he said, so my honesty will answer for me later. When you come and look into my wages with you, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, is found with me, shall be considered stolen. If there's anything that's not spotted, streaked, speckled, then you'll know I stole it. That's my integrity. Isn't it interesting that Jacob now is talking about his integrity? Okay, he stole his brother's blessing, he stole his birthright, he's fled, okay, but now he's actually, I think he's growing. He said, I will be honest, I will be true. And you'll know it because if you see a little white, you know, Sean the sheep running around, you know that I've stole Sean the sheep, okay? And so that's where he says. And Laban's like, I'm gonna sign me up, right? Let, me, let it be, 
as you have said. And here's what he does. Because this is the kind of guy he is. That day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Every one that had white on it. And every lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his sons. And he took him three days journey between himself and Jacob. So, so shady boy goes, yeah, sure, you can have all the speckled spotted, all these things. And he gets his boys to show up and take all of these things to Statesboro, basically. Three days away. So that there's no way that the speckled and the spotted and the striped can mate with the solid cover because maybe then we actually might have another anomaly and I'd have to pay him. So not only is Jacob now making minimum wage, he's making like Napoleon Dynamite $1 an hour wage, okay? He's, he's got double stacked against him. That's where he's at. And Laban thinks, my son-in-law is a moron. No one, he'll never make any, he'll always be poor and I will always have him under me. But here's what Laban misses. He's missing the big point, that there's this, this, this one called God who has plans for Jacob. And what is interesting to me is that Jacob, Jacob knows, by the way, that the, the sheep have been stolen. I mean, they were like, okay, let's walk through the herd. Wait, there's no spotted, speckled, where are they at? He knows what happened, but he does not retaliate. He plows forward and he trusts God and let's see what happens. So Jacob took the fresh Fresh sticks of pop. This is one of the most inspiring passages in all the Bible, just so you know. So let me read this to you and see if you can make heads or tails of it. And Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks and so the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. That's a great passage. I mean, John 3, 16, Genesis 30, right there. <laughs> this is your memory verse for this passage. You say, what, what, does that have to, what does that mean? Well, the funny thing is, most commentaries have no clue. So we're in good company. But here's what it seems to happen. So he's got none striped, speckled, spotted. He takes all the sheep, and when they go to, the water, to water to drink, he peels back some sticks so that the sticks are speckled and spotted and striped. And the idea seems to be, and, and it doesn't actually work because we know genetics don't work this way, but the idea was if they see spotted and they see striped, when they mate, maybe that will imprint on the sheep, okay? And I don't know if it's symbolic. I don't know if it's, you know, uh, some myth that they buy into. We do know that it doesn't matter because God's gonna bring it to happen. But what happens is they come, they come and drink, all these, uh, these solid color animals, and sure enough, right, when the flocks brought forth little baby goats, little baby goats were striped and speckled and spotted, and Laban was like, oh no, he didn't. How in the world, right? And it continues. Jacob separated the lambs. He set the faces of the flocks towards the striped, all the black in the flock, of Laban, he put his own droves apart, so he separates them, and he did not then put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock was breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, and they might, they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger is Jacob's. So he, as a good shepherd then, once he has these spotted, he is going to practice basically uh, just, just the same thing we do all the time, selective breeding. 
Like, so some of you, you're your dog fans, and you're like, well, my dog is related to the state champion, blah, 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 right? And so you don't take the state champion lab and breed it with the three-legged dachshund because then you have a six-legged doxadoodle or something, and you're like, I don't want that dog. That is useless. Maybe you have that dog, and you love that dog, and I'm not meaning to offend you or so, but... Selective breeding, that's what he's doing. He's taking the strong goats and the strong sheep. He's mating them with the strong goats and the strong sheep. And the weak goats and the wheat sheep are over here. And it just so happens that the weak ones are all the solid colored. They're all Laban's. So what's going on? Laban's flock's not growing. Oh boy, he's got himself the San Diego Zoo over here. And we're gonna see in a couple weeks, he's got thousands and thousands and thousands of animals in just six short years. And so it says, thus the man increased greatly. Had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, donkeys. I mean, he is loaded now. And it's all because of what God has done. So you read a passage like this in the Bible, and this is why people are scared of the Old Testament. You're like, well, that helps. I learned a lot about goats. What does this have to do with me? Because it's always about us. But the big end, big idea, God has kept his word on descendants. God has kept his word on provision, which means God is gonna keep his word on land, which means God is gonna keep his word on Messiah, which means, by the way, God is gonna keep his word on him returning. And so we trust the word of God because God keeps his word. But I don't think most of us have that problem. At least for me, I, I don't, my struggle is not believing in the omniscience of God, that God created the Milky Way galaxy, that God is great, that God is glorious, that God is majestic, he's immutable, he's omniscient. I, don't, I get those things. I mean, I don't grasp them completely, but I believe them. But my struggle, and I think it's your struggle, is that we live here. And some of you are like, yeah, I got car payments and I work with Mrs. McGillicuddy, and I know God is glorious, but I'm married to Hank, and Hank ain't glorious. And I don't know if you know it, but I work at Lowe's, and my boss don't read his Bible, and I am an engineer at Gulfstream, and this guy is an atheist, and he thinks I'm a moron because I read my Bible. And that's where we live. I get the big piece, right? But see, what we wanna be is not just a people that sing real well on a Sunday morning, that don't trust real well on a Monday morning. See, that's why when we talk about what are we doing here, we gather to equip so that we grow into what a disciple looks like, our core values, and then we what? We go, and this is the most important part, we go and we be the church. That's where it matters. Right, that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's what God is wanting. He wants wanting godliness, right? And Jacob is learning through the school hard knocks, he's learning some godliness. Right? And we need to learn it too. So I'll, let me give you just four big ideas and maybe some are more, more uh, close to home than others. But four big ideas and what does it look like? How, do we, how can we have godliness when we're, in this circumstance, when there's a Laban over here, when I'm over here, what does it look like to be distinct? What, what do we need to be learning? Let me give you four things. Write them down, because they're good stuff. 
Here's the first thing we need to learn. This is the first thing Jacob is learning is humility. Humility. Jacob has been an arrogant, self-seeking, self-centered schemer, which is why half of you think he's, you half-glass emptiers are, are still down on him. And God deals with him, right? He doesn't send him a preacher. Doesn't send him a sermon. You know what he, he, de- he deals with him in two ways. He deals with his pride in two ways. Number one, he gives him some wives. Something about marriage. Deal with pride, won't it? Amen? Some of y'all are scared to say amen on that one. <laughs> marriage will crush you some pride. But you know what else he does? He gives him a job. He gives him work. Because work, one of the benefits for our soul is work is designed to teach you humility, right? When you're working for hours, showing up early, staying late, and at the end of two weeks, a guy signs a piece of paper and says, here you go. Go eat for another two weeks and come back and see me, right? And that is a place of humility, that work is designed to teach you to serve and to be under authority, which some of us struggle with, and to, to, to pursue this and to be tired. And work is difficult because of the fall. It, it is challenging, and it's by the sweat of our brow, and that is on purpose. Because ultimately, work is a mild form of suffering, and suffering teaches humility, right? It's one of the ways that God shapes his people teaching you to struggle, following instructions, serving in, 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 in where you're places you can't be seen and where you don't get any credit, right? It's good for you. It teaches humility. And this is why we tell parents, parents, teach your kids to work, right? To struggle, to sweat. Don't just give them $100, Right, yeah, here you go. And keep, you know, oh, I don't want them to struggle. I, want, I don't want, to, I want them to be happy. You are creating a, a, a people who are so arrogant because they've never struggled, because they've never wrestled with anything. It's all been given to them. And so they go off to college and they, and they spend four and a half years there and they come out and they think that they're Einstein because they have a bachelor's in science. And they show up at work and they can't follow directions and they think they're better than everybody because they've never struggled. Teach them to work. I'm, me and my wife have differing opinions on this in some areas. Uh, the, you know, the lawn, I, anything lawn, I don't pay. You live here. That's called your pay. You eat. You had Cheerios this morning. Now cut the grass. That's the way it is. Now you do extra stuff, great. Go do stuff for other people. You're part of this deal, you're going to work. Right? It's, it's just part of, of, of teaching humility and and teaching to follow instructions. If you're a younger folk and you're in college, you're in high school, you're in grad school, let me encourage you, when you show up to that first gig, don't show up thinking, y'all can begin because I have arrived. All right, and don't think that this guy, just because he didn't, he doesn't have a bachelor's. He doesn't have a master's and you have a master's and you went to this and this guy's been there for 28 years, but you think you're smarter than him. No, come in and learn. Keep your mouth shut, right? Listen, right? That's, that's what God wants for you, to grow in humility, 
I'm not saying don't try to strive for excellence. I'm not trying, don't add what you can bring to this table. But come in not thinking you're the, the solution to everything. Arrogance is, is arrogant, right? And humility, is humility a kingdom value for Christians? There's something Christians are called to. God is opposed to the proud. Gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? There's the kingdom of heaven. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination. Haughty eyes. Right? Your work is meant to teach humility. So let it. It's meant to teach you that you ain't as special as your mama told you. Right? To serve, to struggle, to be tired. That you are not God because you get tired. And that's a good thing. Right? And nothing teaches it like working for the man, grinding it out. Right? Day after day. And so don't get frustrated too. If you are in a, a place where you're like, man, the Lord hasn't taken this guy out or hasn't gotten me out of here. Hey, Jacob's 20 years into this gig. Long time. 20 years in, God's teaching him some stuff. And so God may be teaching you. I'm not saying you shouldn't get a new job. I'm saying you should move. I'm not saying any of that. You, should, you can, great. But maybe God's teaching you something. So don't be so anxious about it. Trust him in it, right? That's the first lesson. That's a hard one. These actually get harder, believe it or not. Usually I start hard and I come like, we're gonna get actually more difficult. Here's the second lesson is that he learns to put others first. He learns to put others first. He actually treats Laban well. How hard is that? How challenging is that? Look what he says in verse 29. Again, he says, you know how I've served you, how your livestock fared for me. For you had little before I came and it's increased. The Lord has blessed you. Say, I, I've made you better off in chapter 31. He says this to his wives. He says, hey, I see your father doesn't regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I serve your father with all my strength. He said, I... I left nothing on the table. And this is the guy that cheated him. This is the guy who was wrong to him. Your job, this is challenging, your job is to make your superior, your boss, your company, your, your partners better, to look better, to bless them, to benefit them. The presence of the Christian should, should elevate this deal. Even the Labans. See, this is a backwards. This is not what your business books, your business books look out for number one and preserve yourself. And, and following Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to look out for others. I'm not gonna be rebellious. I did a quick scan of the scripture this week. I'm trying to think. I couldn't come up with one person, one individual in all the Bible that thrived as a rebel, who, who was successful, who was consistently rebelling. What I do find on the opposite side is I find a Joseph who is treated wrongly. We'll see in a couple weeks. And he is elevated to the second highest position in Egypt and he benefits Pharaoh. In fact, Pharaoh says, I don't even gotta worry about nothing because I got Joseph. Joseph takes care of everything. That's the kind of thing I see. I see a guy named Mordecai. You ever read about Mordecai? How many of you read the book of Esther? Your book of Esther? Okay, a couple of you. Good book. Go read the book of Esther. So Mordecai is a Jewish man living under the Persian king Xerxes. How many of y'all saw 300? 
Yeah, more of yourself 300 than Red Rester. Okay, so you know, that's supposedly Xerxes, except Xerxes in that, that, he's weird. That's not really, he didn't have all these magical powers. But he was a wacko. He's a wicked king. And this guy, at one point, he, he's, he's trying to get his army across this body of water. He has two men actually build a bridge, or they were the engineers, and they built this bridge. And before they could go, the ocean destroyed it. So this guy kills the engineers, and then he goes down and literally whips the ocean 300 times in front of all his soldiers because they didn't listen to him. That's the kind of wacko this guy is. And what Mordecai does, he hears a little plan about this guy getting assassinated, what does he do? He doesn't think, man, we need to get rid of this king anyway. He goes and tells him to spare his life and save his life. And this is the king that ultimately marries Esther. And eventually the people of God are saved because this guy benefits his king, even a wicked king, even a wacky king. And you can say the same thing about Daniel, who is faithful to serve Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world who hates God, who destroys his temple, actually becomes a follower of Yahweh. Or Nehemiah, who serves the king who has conquered his people and he guards his life. He is the cupbearer. He benefits this king. See, that's the model we see for the Christian, Right? that you would regard others as more important, that you would actually serve and benefit others, that that's what you would show up to do, which by the way, you know what that's called? Humility, <laughs> right? Philippians two, Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. What does he do? He regards others as more important. That's godliness in the face of a Laban, right? That's what we see. So two lessons so far. Humility, other-centeredness. Here's a third one. This is a, this is a good one too. Don't retaliate. Don't get back, right? And so does, does Joseph, Jacob know that Laban took all the sheep? He does, right? He absolutely does. Does he know that he's cheated him? He absolutely does. Does he know he's shady? He absolutely does. He doesn't get back at him. In fact, he says in Again, to his wives, he says, I've served your father with all my strength. Your father's cheated me. Changed my wages 10 times, right? But God did not permit him to harm me. He, if he said the spotted should be your wages, then the flock were spotted. And if he said the striped will be your wages, then the striped. He tried to cheat me. He tried to change me. God dealt with him. And said, I'm not gonna retaliate. He keeps being faithful six years, seven years, Right? And here's the thing, as a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, and I know some of you are not, and so you're like, man, you, you people are crazy. I get you, I hear you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the, the, we cannot get sucked down into reacting. We have to learn to respond like Christians, like followers of Jesus, who did not revile, but gave a blessing instead. Or suffering, he uttered no threats, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is how we respond, right? In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Let God deal with it. This is how we respond as a Christian. And so it says, if your enemy is hungry, and if your boss is your enemy, what does he say? If, he, if he's hungry, feed him. If your boss is a Laban, you take him some Chick-fil-A. 
God's chicken sandwich. Or, or a four for four from Wendy's, which is my favorite. Whatever. Get you some Zunzies. If your boss, if your neighbor is hungry and he's mean as a snake, she's mean as a snake, feed him some Zunzies. That's what he says. If they're thirsty, you call them up and say, hey, I'm going to Starbucks. You want me to get you a latte? You want a mocha, joka, toka, whatever, I'll get it. I'm going I'm I'm to give you a drink. And it ain't going to be laced with cyanide either. Right? That's what he says. Why? By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And the idea is like, yeah, I'm going to burn their head, all right. Let's do this. That's not the idea. The idea is when they see you respond, see, if you, if you smack them in the mouth, then they feel justified for treating you the way they treat you. But if you respond with a Chick-fil-A sandwich with no pickles and a cookies and cream shake, that's my dream. You respond with that. They're going to be face to face with their own sin. You are a mirror to them and you've responded kindly and they will see their brokenness and, and, and your life will prick their conscience. And that's what an idea. They're facing uh, the, their, their own sin and that's the heaping coals. And Lord willing, they would repent. That's the idea. But if they don't, God's got it. You don't need to worry. God's got it, right? And, you can say, and I know that's not fair, right? It's not fair. I don't get the credit. It's not fair. I, I hear you. Let's talk to Jesus about fair. Innocent son of God on a cross for your sins. Not fair. Praise God for unfairness, Right? because I wouldn't have forgiveness of sins if it was about justice. Even Jacob doesn't deserve the favor of God, but he is blessed by God's favor, right? That's the way it is. And so Jacob gets not fair. He says, hey, 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss. He says, man, if a sheep got stolen, I had to pay for it. I didn't eat your rams. From my hand, you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day, by heat, cold, no sleep. He says, you got rich, I got cold. You got rich, I got no sleep. I lost money, not fair. He says, but, but God took care of me. If, if, if he didn't, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. He's, he leaves it in the hands of God. This is one of the hardest things I think we are called to do as Christians, right? Because everybody else gets to get back, right? Everybody else gets to get even. But one of the constant things in scripture is that we ain't everybody else. We are holy, set apart. We're called to be distinct, right? Godliness, that's what we're called to do. And so when the government says to do something, whether you agree or not. If it's not sin, Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Kings, authorities, governors, follow them. As long as they're not asking you to sin. Right? That's what he says. And just remember, the, the king that he's talking about at that point was a man named Nero, who used to take Christians, dip them in oil, and light his garden parties with them. And he says, listen to him. It's pretty significant. He says, don't, don't get punished for being a wacko, 
That's my translation. He said, what credit is there if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? He says, if you get fired because you're watching cat videos, well, you deserve it. Right? He says, what credit is there? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure it. This is gracious. This is godliness. This is Christian. God is pleased. Why? Because you've been called for this purpose, what he says next. For Christ suffered for you. Leave an example to follow in his step. Right? And so, we're to be distinct. This is why Paul tells Onesimus, when he wins Onesimus, who's a runaway slave to faith, he says, praise God, you're a Christian. Now you gotta go back and make it right with Philemon. Now I'll deal with Philemon, don't you worry. I'll write me a little letter. We call it Philemon. But you need to go back because it's distinct, because you're different, right? It's pleasing to God. So if you're driving home today, you get pulled over on the Veterans Parkway going eight over, don't be telling the cop You know, there's real criminals out there. You know, I pay your salary. It may feel good in the moment, but you, to respond, it's it's not godly. You may feel good in a moment to to let your spouse have it. God's not pleased. It may feel good to get back at that boss and and I'm gonna take all of this and I'm gonna get back at him and I'm gonna, but it's not godly, right? We wanna respond like Christians. It's distinct. So we learn humility to bless others. Do not retaliate. And here's the last one. We just learn to trust God with the results. Trust God to bless our work, right? That, that, in the end, right, you know, chapter 31 gives a little bit of clarity to the whole like sticks and, you know, stripping the bark off. And leave. He, Jacob doesn't think that that's what happens. He tells his, his, his uh, wives, he says, this is what happened. This is what God did. He, I had a dream. Right, verse 10, uh, I had a dream in the breeding season. I, looked, I lifted my eyes and I saw in the dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For you, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go. This, is, this was a God thing. I stacked the deck against myself. Laban doubled it up. I trusted God. God brought forth speckled, spotted, mottled, all these things. It was God. He leaves the result to God. And that's a couple things that what that means and what that doesn't mean. What it means is when you show up, you do your best and just leave the results to God. Maybe you get credit, maybe you don't. Maybe you get a raise, maybe you don't. Maybe you get the promotion, maybe you don't. That's, that's not the point. You're, you serve the Lord Christ, Colossians says. This is your worship. You, you worship well, you can leave the results to God. That is, right? I know, and maybe one day, uh, you, maybe you're never gonna make a, a lot of money, but one day you'll hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you are gonna get rich. Can, can, can I, some of you may get rich. Some of you are. By the world standards, we all are. But just because God is blessing does not mean you are guaranteed to be rich. You need to hear this because the prosperity gospel is all over the place where God's desire for you to be healthy and wealthy, right? And, and if you're not, then you don't have enough faith. That is hogwash. Jesus doesn't have a place to lay his head. The apostles all died poor, Right? You, you God, maybe he blesses you, maybe he doesn't. But the idea that, that God's blessing means you will be rich, it is a tragedy 
that people are buying into this garbage. God is not, his desire for you is not to have your best life now. You know when your best life is? Then, right? That's your best life. Because some of you, some of you, I mean, I'm not saying that God does not give good things. James 1 says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. We get that. But here's the deal. You live in a time where you have cold, stinking weather in Savannah. That's not your best life now. Your best life now is 93. I say amen. There we go. You, ha- you live in a time where some of you are going to have cancer. You're going to lose a spouse at some point. Parents. You get indigestion. You have allergies. You lose your job. This is not your best life now. Jesus didn't come so that you have this great experience now. He came that you may have life abundantly, but that ultimately that would be fulfilled after you are resurrected. When he restores the kingdom, when he removes sin. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be joyful. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be happy. Doesn't mean only that, but it does mean your best life is there. That you store up your treasure there. You are not necessarily gonna be rich in this world, but you know what Peter says? That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They rejoice because the kingdom is yours. And so blessing may be now and it may not be. But here's what blessing is. You're guaranteed your daily bread because he's not gonna let one of his own get fed worse than the birds or clothed worse than the flowers, right? So I, he said, I will, I will take care of you. Doesn't mean you're gonna be rich, but we should be thankful with what? Just our daily bread. Maybe it's just our daily manna. Like in the Israelites, they had to trust every day. There'll be some some bread on the ground. Go get me some bread, right? And then that's where the ultimate blessing is. Sometimes material, but you just need to know that because that is out there and it is getting thrust across places like Africa and in Asia. And we need to, to preach the real gospel uh, that, that your sins are forgiven and that one day God will restore and do all these things, right? Here's Here's what we really want to do, and ultimately we'll land with this, is that we want to pursue and trust the blessor and not pursue the blessing. Okay, here's the difference. Laban wants the blessing, all right? He doesn't care about Yahweh. He cares about money. So he pursues the blessing. Jacob's pursuing his God. That's where we want to go. Because what happens if we pursue just the blessing? What happens if we get the raise or don't get the raise? What if we get the job or don't get the job? What if we get the house or no? You know, it's all related there. And even that won't satisfy. We pursue the blessor. Whether we get that or not, we still have God and he is our treasure. He is our treasure. We pursue the blessor, right? The one who says, hey, we sang it. If I, I am good, I am for you. If I am for you, who can be against you? God can take care of his own. He will accomplish his will. He will accomplish his purpose, right? He, he destroyed your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is not your boss. It's not your neighbor. It's not the government. Your greatest enemy was sin and death and Jesus smoked them on the cross and in the empty tomb. He says, now you can trust me, right? No fear, no worries, pursue me. And when you pursue him, you're blessed because you get him. And then here's what Psalm 67 says, and then we'll close with this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. We're, we're blessed by him. Why? 
that your way may be known on earth. We're blessed to be a blessing, which is point number two, that you're supposed to seek the best of others, right? God blesses you so you can be a blessing, and so his saving power is among the nations, which is what we talk about, go be the church. You be in the church tomorrow morning at Gulfstream, tomorrow morning at SCAD, tomorrow morning at Lowe's, wherever it is, is, is what God has called you to do in being the church so that his name will be made great. That's, that's what we do. And it happens when we learn humility, when we put others first, when we do not retaliate, and we trust God with the results. That's, that's how you prosper in the pit. That's, that's what it looks like to be godly when you got a Laban. So if you got a Laban, Get some coal on their head this week. Get them a Chick-fil-A milkshake. And ask God just to show you, what are you doing? What do, what do you want me to learn here? How can I become more like Jesus? And he will. Let me pray. Why don't you stand and we'll think about this and sing a few songs. Father, I ask um, just for those down who are struggling that this is, they, they get this. This is where they live that they would be able to persevere, that your spirit would give them strength and they would uh, grasp on these things. If nothing else, the humility piece and um, the trusting you with the results piece. You're good, you're faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it. And so we come back to the truth of your word in that. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.